Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we continue with our American stories. Our next story is about a founding father who wrote the most famous seven words in American history. We the people of the United States. Those words, of course, appearing in the preamble of the U.S. Constitution. Dennis C. Rasmussen is a professor of political science at Syracuse University. He's also a Jack Miller Center Fellow. Dennis is also the author of The Constitution's Penman, Governor Morris, and the Creation of America's Basic Charter. Let's take a listen to the story. Governor Morris is relatively little known today, but he was one of the most important and fascinating figures of the American founding era. One scholar declared recently that Morris may have been the most colorful individual in all of North America at the time of the founding. And frankly, that sounds about right. Morris was a peg-legged ladies' man with a really wicked, sardonic sense of humor. He was without question one of the funniest of the founders, although granted that's perhaps not a super high bar. Morris also led an immensely full life. He was originally from New York. He came from a wealthy family that owned most of the southwest part of what's now the Bronx. As a young man, he helped to push New York to belatedly join the independence movement, and he's one of the principal architects of the first New York state constitution. I mentioned that Morris had a wooden leg. He had his leg amputated when he was 28 years old as a result of a bad carriage accident, although there were always rumors throughout his life that he'd in fact shattered the leg jumping out a bedroom window in order to escape the wrath of an ill-timed husband. In 1778, Morris became a delegate to the Continental Congress and spent that terrible winter at Valley Forge with George Washington and his troops, where he was sent to oversee the Army's needs. He was also a signer of the Articles of Confederation, the nation's first stab at a national constitution, although he deemed the Confederation government to be woefully inadequate from the get-go. 
Morris served as the Confederation's Deputy Superintendent of Finance for several years. And in that role, he drew up a plan for a new national currency in which he proposed to use the word dollar after the widely used Spanish dollar. And he invented the word cent to denote one of the smaller coins. So Americans use words chosen by Morris pretty much every day. It's thanks to him that we have dollars and cents for our currency. Morris was destined to be an important player in not just one, but two of the great revolutions of the modern age. Because in 1789, he went to Paris and eventually followed in the footsteps of Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson by becoming the American minister to France. He was there at the convening of the Estates General, and he was the only foreign diplomat from any nation to remain in country all the way through the bloody terror. After Morris's ministry ended, he traveled around Europe for a few more years, and then came back to the U.S. and served the second half of his senatorial term during a critical period when Jefferson and the Republicans came into power and the Capitol moved to Washington, D.C., This was from 1800 to 1803. In 1804, after the famous duel between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, Morris was the one who sat by Hamilton's side at his deathbed and then gave his official eulogy at the request of Hamilton's widow, Eliza, who told Morris that he was the best friend that Hamilton had in the world. Not that that would be enough to earn Morris even a bit role in the musical, which is a real shame and a real missed opportunity, if you ask me. In any case, late in life, Morris undertook two more great projects, one helping to lead a commission that planned the grid layout for the streets of Manhattan, and another that planned the Erie Canal. On the more personal side of things, at age 57, Morris finally became the last of the founders to marry. He married a woman named Nancy Randolph, who was a sort of fallen aristocrat who was then serving as his housekeeper, and who had earlier been accused of conspiring to murder her own newborn baby fathered by her brother-in-law. That's a long story in itself, as you may imagine. They had a son together, although Morris died before he even turned four. Even Morris's death was colorful, if rather grisly. He seems to have frequently suffered from painful blockages in his urinary tract, perhaps the result of venereal disease. And when he was 64, he tried using a whalebone to remove the blockage, and he died from the resulting lacerations. My sincere apologies for getting that image stuck in your mind. In the summer of 1787, Morris played an absolutely pivotal role at the Philadelphia Convention that formulated the U.S. Constitution. Morris spoke more often at the convention than any other delegate. He proposed more motions than any other delegate. And he had more of his motions accepted than any other delegate. His interventions were often extremely blunt and provocative, so they all but jump off the page at you when you read through James Madison's notes of the debates. He also served on a number of the committees that did so much of the hard work in actually crafting the Constitution that summer. And most importantly of all, Morris was the one who wrote the Constitution itself. At the end of the summer, the delegates formed what was called a Committee of Style to compose the final draft of the Constitution, and the committee in turn simply handed the task to Morris. It is absolutely remarkable that so few people know this. Everyone knows, most American school children can tell you, that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. And yet very few people know that Morris wrote the Constitution. Even among folks with PhDs in political science, it's probably a pretty small fraction who could tell you that. I haven't done any kind of formal poll, but I've asked many, many people this question over the past couple years. And most assume that it must have been James Madison, the so-called father of the Constitution, who wrote it, or that it was just a collective effort. Now, in some senses, of course, the Constitution was a collective effort. Its provisions had been laboriously debated and voted on over the course of the summer before Morris took up his pen, And so his leeway in choosing the structure and powers of the proposed government was minimal. 
But Morris single-handedly and rather radically reorganized the draft constitution that had been produced by the Committee of Detail midway through the summer. He consolidated 23 sprawling articles down to a neat seven, and he changed or chose a great deal of the wording on his own initiative, oftentimes in consequential ways. So when constitutional lawyers and scholars pour over the fine details of the Constitution, looking for clues regarding its meaning, they have Morris to thank or to blame for many of those details. And Morris wrote the famous preamble, the Constitution's ringing statement of purpose, basically from scratch. All the stuff about forming a more perfect union, establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility, and the like. That was all Morris. The preamble has become one of the most celebrated sentences in the annals of democracy. So it's something of an irony that it was written by a man of somewhat elitist inclinations who's all but forgotten today. But perhaps Morris's finest hour at the convention, from today's perspective, came in the debates over slavery. No one spoke more passionately or eloquently or at greater length about the evils of slavery than Morris did. He described it as a nefarious institution and the curse of heaven on the states where it prevailed. A long speech that Morris delivered on August 8th has been called the first abolitionist speech in American public life, which may be a bit of an exaggeration, but does have at least a grain of truth to it. And it's all the more remarkable when you remember the audience, that probably a couple dozen people sitting there in the room listening to him were themselves slaveholders. So, Morris gave this speech in opposition to the notorious three-fifths clause, that is to counting three-fifths of the enslaved population toward representation in the House of Representatives, and hence also, at least eventually, the Electoral College that would choose the president. And his basic point was that there was no good reason why enslaved people should count at all according to any ratio. After all, he suggested, if enslaved people were human beings, then they should be made citizens and allowed to vote. But if they were mere property, as some of the southern delegates contended, then they shouldn't have been included in the population counts at all, given that no other property was included. The three-fifths clause was just a way of augmenting the political power of the slaveholding South, and moreover one that would encourage them to import still more enslaved people so that their political clout would be still further increased. Let me read the climax of Morris's speech in opposition to this clause. The admission of slaves into the representation, when fairly explained, comes to this, that the inhabitant of Georgia or South Carolina, who goes to the coast of Africa, and in defiance of the most sacred laws of humanity, tears away his fellow creatures from their dearest connections and damns them to the most cruel bondage, shall have more votes in a government instituted for the protection of the rights of mankind than the citizen of Pennsylvania or New Jersey views with laudable horror so nefarious a practice. Morris goes on to say that giving the South extra representation on behalf of the people whom they'd enslaved would require a sacrifice of every principle of right, of every impulse of humanity. This was as courageous and far-sighted as any speech that was delivered that summer. Of course, for all of his moral clarity and passion and eloquence, Morris failed to make much headway against slavery. The Three-Fifths Clause, as well as the clause protecting the overseas slave trade until 1808, and the Fugitive Slave Clause were all included in the Constitution over his fierce objections. On that note, there's a sense in which Morris's speech against slavery not only makes him look pretty good, but also makes many of the other founders look worse by comparison. After all, Morris was one of them, and he knew better, and he told them so. And a terrific job on the production, editing, and storytelling by our own Greg Hengler. And a special thanks to Dennis C. Rasmussen, who's a professor of political science at Syracuse University and the author of The Constitution's Penman, Governor Morris and the Creation of America's Basic Charter. 
Dennis is also a Jack Miller Center Fellow, and the Jack Miller Center is a nationwide network of scholars and teachers dedicated to educating the next generation about America's founding principles and history. To learn more, visit jackmillercenter.org. It's a terrific organization worthy of your support. And my goodness, what a story he told here. We all know that Thomas Jefferson was given the assignment of writing the Declaration of Independence. But I didn't know until recently, most people don't know who Governor Morris is, the role he played in the framing and formation of the Constitution, and the fact that he and he alone wrote the document, the preamble, and indeed all of it, and his arguments against slavery, a man ahead of his time. The story of Governor Morris, one of the most important founding fathers and one of the least well-known here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 